Cochrane for all. Better evidence for better health decisions. Casey Quinlan with the Beyond the Room team here at Cochrane for All with Victor Montori, folks. So, Victor, you're uh, closing this uh, this colloquium. Mm-hmm. You are the one of the closing keynotes. I'm really looking forward to this. But one of your messages in uh, your work and also in your book, Why We Revolt, and your overall patient revolution is you know shifting from trickle down to bubble up. In, in healthcare, and uh, you know, I wanted to ask you how might we shift from trickle down to bubble up in both research priorities and evidence dissemination? Since we're at Cochrane, this mm-hmm. is an important topic. So how can and you know how, how do you see that unfolding? Yeah, so it's 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 a very difficult uh, question because the first of all the the issue of trickle down is that. Um, we focus on the evidence, we focus on producing the evidence, we focus on synthesizing the evidence, then we we get uh, excited about translating the evidence into practice. All these efforts are efforts to try to um, uh, bridge the knowledge-do gap. Uh, But people at the front line, uh, that's not their main concern. Their main concern is not to uh, bridge the knowledge-do gap. The main problem at the front line is how to solve the problems of the patient. So what is, what is going on with your situation? What, what, are, what makes it complicated and difficult? And it often is not a lack of evidence. It's often not a lack of knowledge. It's often that your situation is intrinsically difficult and is intrinsically uncertain. And then the clinician and patient have to draw on everything they can, their own experience and expertise, for instance, to try to address that. Evidence there has a major role to play, and they can draw from evidence uh, to understand, for instance, what not to do, what should not be on the table, and to try to uh, gather some reasonable expectations about the ability of the alternatives to try to, to move the situation forward. So the real challenge is patients and clinicians drawing on evidence to care. So that for those who produce evidence, to start from what do we don't know and how do we bridge that gap is the wrong starting point. And then to focus on translating that evidence into practice because it's not being picked up, sort of duh, you know, it's not being picked up because it never started with the problem of the patient. It started from what we wanted to know. So I think the main issue about trickle-down versus bubbling up is we need researchers have to start with with the understanding of what is the problem they're trying to solve. And the place to know that is the the clinical encounter. The place to know know that is the the home of the patient, the workplace of the patient, is where the patients are struggling to, you know, adapt and cope and thrive. And it's from there that the questions come up. And it will be, I I would, the hypothesis is it will be a lot less difficult to use that evidence to care when that evidence was produced in response to a problem of care. So how can patients help with this effort? Well, as you know, I'm allergic to finding more work for patients, right? And my instinct as a clinician is to actually um, think of ways of caring for patients first rather than think of uh, errands that they could run on my behalf or on behalf of our partnership. Uh, I do recognize that not all patients um, are the same and not all patients are prepared to cope with their problems in the same way, and some of them cope better or do better when they become very actively involved, not only in their own condition, but in the general challenges of the condition they have. And so they could play a major role. But the the role is not to participate in the process of trickle-down EBM. The the role is not to be a... um, 
token or no token, uh, participant in, in research uh, groups or participant in guideline groups. That's too late um, in the process. I think we need to partner with patients and clinicians uh, at the front lines to uncover what are the real knowledge gaps, what are the real practice gaps, and start with those practice gaps to build up our knowledge base, to build up our evidence. How do you think Cochrane researchers can more effectively involve patients in the ways that you're outlining, and then also measure the impact of that patient participation. Yeah, so how to do, I think, is a subject of experimentation, right? We need to continue to develop um, a practice of doing this, and in, in doing so, learning by doing, you know, learning and trying and trying again and doing it again. I think we're in the early days of that partnership, and as we've seen in this colloquium, there's been some incredible uh, uh, accounts of... Um, uh, of patients uh, participating or guiding the research program. Unfortunately, many of those situations is when the researcher, uh, him or herself, is the sick person. And uh, in, in embodying both uh, situations has led to uh, some remarkable things. So can you imagine if we were to start that journey together like, like when it happens to the same person? So I think that, that is the subject of further experimentation. I don't know that I can tell you how to do it until we have more evidence. But the second part is how to measure the impact. And I think the question we need to ask uh, uh, about this is why are we involving patients? Why are we engaging patients and clinicians in this process before we decide how we're going to evaluate? Um, this is like transparency or honesty or other things that are nice to have, but as an organization or as a way of doing things, when you say, well, we want honesty or we want transparency, we want this, you know, they can be articulated or, or um, justified on the basis of first principles. But it's much more interesting to say we want this because we're pursuing that. So we want engagement because we're pursuing what? What, we, what do we want? Do we want the legitimacy of, have, of, of being able to say that patients participated? Does that improve the trustworthiness of what we are bringing? Does that improve the applicability of what we're bringing to the table? Uh, so in other words, are we using the, the patient's presence uh, to improve the value of what we're trying to create? Is that what we're after? Or is it more about pertinence? Is it that the, the reason that the, the clinicians and patients are at the table from the beginning is because we want them to be able to draw from what we're going to produce to actually care? And if it's the latter, then the impact of that engagement is in the ability of the people at the front line, of people that are providing care, receiving care, the people that are caring for and about each other, their ability to draw from evidence and formulate plans of care that make sense. That's the ultimate proof, not whether the, the, the project was completed on time, on budget, and looks good on the printed paper. So what has been your impression? This, is, this Cochrane colloquium is hashtag patients included. And what has been your impression of the patient inclusion and transparency here at the at, at Cochrane for All? Well, first of all, these patients included uh, tag um, has been evolving in what it means over the years, and increasingly we are becoming intolerant to tokenistic involvement. So that's, I think, a major progress. You don't get the impression here that they just got the uh, the ability to use a tagline and, and forgot about it. Uh, there's been, a, uh, in the sessions that I have participated, um, uh, patients, caregivers uh, have been able to uh, not only participate from the podium and from the stage, but also from the public asking questions. And there have been multiple ways of asking questions and participating in the sessions, both in person and through social media. Um, there's also quite a bit of uh, dissemination, almost real time, of the content of those presentations, again, through social media and other uh, things that are facilitated by technology. So folks that are uh, limited in their ability to travel or participate, um, or frankly scared by the price tag of participation, 
um, uh, have a chance to actually be included in the deliberations, not only as uh, passive consumers of what is being produced, but also actively shaping it through their questions. That's remarkable. Um, I do not know how you do this better, uh, but again, I think just like involvement in other areas is a subject of ongoing experimentation until we figure out that we have the right mix. Um, this is not very different from the um, the panels. I think you call them panels, right? The panels where this all all, this, all these old guys talking about bunch you know, of dudes, yeah, bunch of dudes talking about uh, reproductive uh, women's health or whatever, right? And it's the same thing. Is that I think over time. Um, uh, organizations and groups uh, that, that have to f complete tasks realize that they cannot fulfill their mission in ways that are effective without adequate and full participation of those who are acting on their mission and are the subject of that mission, are the target of that mission. If, if Cochrane wants uh, to be uh, an active contributor to the process of care, then not only patients but also clinicians have to be included, and they have to be included um, from the moment the questions bubble up all the way to the, to the moment where we get together, like in this colloquium, to celebrate the, our accomplishments. Yeah, nothing about us without us is not just patients. Nothing about us without us is also researchers and clinicians, and all in a, in a group or you know perhaps in their individual tribes, but then coming back together for tribal councils, like oh I don't know Cochrane for all. So one of the one of the things that we sometimes forget is that if we are doing this to help the end users. Uh, here they call them consumers, which is, I think, a problem. But anyway, end users uh, pick up this evidence and use it uh, to care. We must recognize that there are different kinds of users. And so when we say uh, we want consumers to be involved, I think it's very narrow, surprisingly, to think of patients only. Uh, patients are the ones that we are often excluded from the room. But we tend to believe that because we have an expert diabetes doctor on a panel, that we have clinicians already there. And there's increasingly a, lar a, a big distance between experts that participate actively, actively in the academic process and clinicians who are at the front line uh, with the patients trying to make sense of things. And those people have to be involved. And the same thing happens with policymakers. If we want policymakers to be sensitive and use evidence to derive policy, then policymakers are also need to be included in these sorts of events. Yeah, yeah, I kind of like the word people, you know, instead of, you know, consumers and, yeah. You know. It doesn't sort of exclude anyone, does it? I know, people. It could, you know, it just, just people. <laughs> yeah, I think the generic nature of it might actually reduce the focus on including patients and so forth. And so, yeah. again, there's no right term, but yeah. I think con being conscious of who we're trying to help and making sure that those who are trying to help are part of the process mm -hmm. from the beginning becomes a guiding principle. Yeah. Well, from the Beyond the Room team and Cochrane for All, I thank you, Victor Montori, for both the work you do and for talking to us today. Thanks. Thank you very much, Mighty Casey. Cochrane for All. Better evidence for everyone. Follow the hashtag Cochrane for All to get the science and evidence to empower better decisions.